Well, after uh, three services, how about giving this worship team a round of applause? And Like, how blessed are we to have that kind of talent? That's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, Merry Christmas. Really glad that you're here. And uh, just to, you know, to add to what Michael said, we really want to welcome the live streaming audience. And um, for you guys here in the auditorium, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you on three to shout out welcome, and then I'll tell you why. One, two, three. Welcome. All right. So there's a, there's a doctor who attends the church, and he couldn't get off for Christmas Eve services. And so he's with his staff watching the service at the hospital right now. So that's pretty cool that we can draw them in as well as people who, uh, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. If you're uh, new to New Hope, uh, we're really glad that you're here. And if you want to learn more about the church, there's some information for you out in the atrium when you leave tonight. Especially want you to know that we're working on building a new building. And so trusting God for the funds for that and working at uh, trying to get a bigger facility so that we can bring the whole church body together, hopefully in one service, maybe two services. But I'm so glad this is the third service. And I, and I really am because um, it, it means there's no other group coming in after you so I can teach as long as I want, right? <laughs> but I won't do that to you. What I'd love to do, though, is uh, pray with you, and I'm going to take you to the Christmas story. Different than Luke, though, we're going to go to Matthew, and we'll do that in just a minute. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to look at your word and have you speak into our lives tonight, especially on this night of all nights that we get to be reminded again of just how much you love us and and the great length you went to to rescue us. So Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, give our hearts the kind of openness that would be willing to receive what you have to say to us. We pray for this in the name of the one who saved us, Jesus Christ our King, and all God's people said, Amen. If you lived in the first century, um, it might seem like as you look back at it from 2016, wow, that would be a really cool time to be alive. I'd love to see the history and what's going on there. But in contrast to the glorious things that Luke wrote, Matthew gives us a little more detail about how ugly some of the things were in the first century. I want to show you a quote on the screen from a philosopher who lived in the first century. His name is Epictetus, and he wrote this. He said, while the emperor, and he's talking about Caesar here, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even outward peace. When we look back at the first century, we understand that life was absolutely no picnic. 200 million people alive on the planet at that time. It was the total global population. And the majority of them, the great overwhelming majority, were under the heel of Rome. Rome ruled with an iron fist through their Caesars and through the Senate that was in power. Taxes were really, really high. Unemployment was really, really high. And morals, the moral behavior of the people was really, really low. And a military state is completely in control. So you've got Roman law, and you've got Greek philosophy and world religion, and it cannot meet the greatest needs of the heart, as Epictetus wrote. He said, there's no one that can bring us this internal peace. And into that world, God the Son steps onto planet Earth. According to the Bible, God the Son became Jesus the man. God the Son became Jesus the man. That might be new for you if you're new to church. 
Maybe you've never heard that before. That means that Jesus did not originate in Bethlehem. Maybe you're thinking, where in the world do you get that from? Well, from the Bible, but here's one of the verses that will back me up on that. Philippians chapter 2, and you'll see it on the screen. Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So it's talking about before time, in, in eternity past, he existed with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Whatever else you may know about Jesus, do not leave here tonight without seizing upon this reality. Say amen if you believe it, that Jesus is God. Amen. Jesus is God. That's what Scripture says. God the Son. So in a manner far beyond our comprehension, far beyond our ability to understand, the Creator takes the form of the created. And He did that specifically because God is so determined that you would know him and that you would grow in him, he didn't want to just send information. So he sent himself. So this determination to know him and to grow in him surfaces in your life. He brings invitations your way, what, what Scripture might call opportunities. Throughout the course of your life, God brings invitations for you to know him and to grow in him. Now, what I call invitations or opportunities, you might call interruptions. And, and you'll see an interruption tonight in the life of this young man that we're about to look at. And he's part of the Christmas story. I want to help you to understand what I'm talking about. So let me illustrate for you this one particular individual who's got a massive opportunity in front of him, but it's a major interruption in his life. Now, here's the background. In the first century, Caesar Augustus is in power. And Caesar Augustus, like all the other Caesars, ruled very, very powerfully. He wants to restructure Rome. So he decides to new, draw new boundary lines and incorporate individuals into provinces that they haven't previously lived in. In other words, he's redistricting the empire. As a result of redistricting the empire, he commands that everybody be part of a census. So he's telling everybody in his empire, you need to go home, you need to go home for Christmas to your original ancestral town. Well, that command brings a young carpenter into his ancestral hometown called Bethlehem. He has to sign up for the census. And the census is for one reason alone. Quirinius, we're told, did the census because they were going to raise taxes. Anytime a government takes a census, you better watch out because they intend to raise taxes. So Joseph makes this journey with his new bride. And it's a very, very long journey. But they aren't officially husband and wife yet. They haven't consummated the marriage. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, meaning she's pledged to Joseph, when she had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Just drink that in for a moment. You have an unmarried woman who is expecting a child. That means something far different in the first century than it means in 2016. A young woman found to be with child in the first century was immediately shunned by society. If her life was spared, because the family could take her life, because it meant one thing, that she had been unfaithful to the family, unfaithful to her husband-to-be, and therefore her life was to be taken. Drink that in for a moment. That's the situation that Mary faces. Now, there's a distinct process to marriage in the first century. Girls were always married in their teenage years. 
young men, when they're in their early 20s, had the right to go to the father of a young woman and ask for her hand in marriage. The father and the young man, the groom, negotiated a contract. And as a result of that contract, over the course of a year, she recognized she would one day become the bride of that groom, but they do not live together. They don't know each other physically. They have not yet been together. Because lifespan was very, very short in the first century, many people dying by the age of 45, when a young man and a young woman were married, they began having children almost immediately so that they could enlarge their family because Rome rewarded childbirth. Many children died. 75% of children lived, meaning 25% of children died before the age of one. Before the age of 10, 50% of those children who lived past one years of age would die. So Rome rewarded women if they could raise their children beyond the years of 10 years of age because they needed to increase the size of their empire. Now Joseph, we find, in verse 19, has got a decision to make. What am I going to do with this interruption that's been handed to me? Verse 19 And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned, meaning he's got a huge desire, his focus is to do this, he planned to send her away secretly, meaning to divorce her. Uh, We ask ourselves this question, what kind of a man is Joseph? Well, Scripture says right there in verse 19, he's a righteous man, and it's going to take an honorable man to marry this young woman because she's already pregnant, and he knows this child is not his. And she's showing by this point. I don't know if you grew up in a small town, but I did. And in a small town, people talk. It's called gossip. And they talk about things that are going on in the community. And these people are obviously very, very aware that Mary is with child. And they believe that she's with child through sin. So clearly, the town folk will continue to conclude that Mary and Joseph have operated outside the bounds of God's rules, outside of God's standards. So it's going to take a very calm, stable man to deal with these traumatic circumstances. Now, we know that Joseph is a woodworker. He's a carpenter, and I know something about woodworkers. They're very detailed, process-oriented, methodical individuals, very strong. And yet, we're told Joseph is also tender because we just found out that he doesn't want to have her killed. He wants to put her away secretly so that she's protected. Now, Joseph knows Mary very well, probably from childhood. He knows her character. He knows her purity. He knows her honesty. That's what makes this so confusing. How could she do this? How could she betray in this way? Certainly, she's told Joseph she's not guilty of immorality. No doubt she's told him that there's been an angel visiting her, and who's going to believe that? There's no way he believes her. There's a Roman garrison outpost that is stationed in their town. On the weekends, the soldiers party. Maybe that's what happened to her. Regardless of the situation, she's with child and it's not his. So verse 19 says, in righteousness, he chooses not to seek the death penalty. Verse 19 says he planned to put her away. Now he has to let three people know. He's negotiated the contract with her father, so he has to let her father know She probably already has told them, but then he has to bring two more individuals into the contract because they have to make it legal and binding. Two more witnesses. That's the hand Joseph has dealt with. 
Even in the divorce, he can't get his own way. All of this adds up to the collapse of a young man's dreams. Nothing is working out for him. And that's why you find him going to sleep restless. Verse 20, it says this, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Are you checking God's purposes here? Look at God's purposes. This is why he came right there in that last sentence. Without that, you don't have the real Christmas story. If you leave out that last sentence, you don't have the reason that Jesus came. What are we told? He will do what? He will save. He will save from what? Sin. He came to save people from their sin. So watch how Joseph responds. Verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now Joseph fell asleep with questions on his mind. How could she do this? How am I going to handle this divorce? What is the community going to say? Is my business going to fail? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to her? He went to bed with questions. God didn't just answer the questions. God answered the questions and then brought him opportunity. He said, Joseph, here's why it happened, and here's what you can do about this. So I want you to focus on just a couple words. You'll see it on the screen. Verse 24, Joseph awoke and did. Did what? Took Mary as his wife. The very thing he had decided he would not do the very thing that he said, I'm not going there. I'm going to put her away. I'm going to divorce her. Now, he's got culture screaming in his ears. Culture says, do this. You can divorce her. You can be clean from this. And his own feelings, what about that? God says, don't trust your feelings, Joseph. Don't trust them because they'll betray you. His feelings are saying, this can't be God's word. It's God's word that refutes both of those arguments. God tells Joseph, don't go with your feelings, Joseph. I know you're afraid. Don't be afraid, for there's a reason for this. Don't fall for what culture says, Joseph. Trust my word. Lean into me. Don't trust your own understanding. Trust my understanding. Now, let's just be honest with ourselves tonight. 2016, December 24th. How unqualified would you feel if God showed up and said, you get to raise the Son of God, right? I'm just thinking, I'd be like, oh, man. See, it's one thing to have a baby enter your world. That's complicated enough, let alone a baby in the first century, let alone the Son of God. How unqualified would you feel if all of a sudden you got to do life with Jesus Joseph is completely transformed based on the words that you see right there in verse 24. Joseph awoke and did. How does that happen? Here's how it happens. Joseph heard God's invitation and he believed God's invitation. What's the invitation? To let Jesus into his world? That's the invitation. God said, let him into your world. See, Jesus is coming either way, right? Jesus said, the baby's already coming. Jesus is coming whether or not Joseph participates with this. But God's giving him an opportunity to respond to the interruption that has come his way. Joseph is invited to be part of this opportunity. So he has a choice. He hears God's word. He knows God's purpose. How he responds is totally up to him. 
You have that same choice tonight. I don't know if you've come here tonight with a relationship with God or not. You've got a choice how you're going to respond to this information. But I can tell you a biblical truth. The biblical truth is this. Any time that you encounter God, you cannot remain the same. Any time you have an encounter with God, you cannot remain neutral. You have to do something with the information that's been presented to you. So let's see what it means for Joseph, because suddenly it's about way more than just rescuing a young woman. We find the key to his response in verse 21. We're told in verse 21, he's going to save people from their sin. So Joseph awoke and did, and everything that happens from this point forward details the changes in Joseph's life. Now, you know what you know about the first century that I've just told you. What does that mean for Joseph? Does it mean it's going to cost him something? Absolutely. It's going to cost him business transactions. It's going to cost him his reputation. He will lose, lose his standing in the community. He's going to take verbal abuse from people who surround him. And even more than that, there will be attempts on his life. Even the king will send henchmen out to take him out. His world is about to change because Jesus is entering his world. But now... Even with that knowledge, he understands why. He understands why Jesus is coming. He's coming to save. Now fast forward with me over to chapter 2. I know many of you know this story, but I'll just catch you up real quick. It's after the wise men arrive that I want to take you into this verse. This verse talks about these magi who have already left. They've come from the east, and we find in verse 13 of chapter 2, when they had gone, the they is the magi. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Now, Herod we looked into last week as a church. If you're interested in that, you can go back and look online and learn more about the guy. But King Herod the Great, suffice it to say, this dude is messed up, all right? He, he's just got all kinds of attitude issues. But he's the one who's hunting for Jesus. Now, we see that the Magi have just left. Uh, I'm just thinking as a side note, what a huge encouragement for Joseph and Mary. What a huge confidence builder for these Magi to have come all the way from Persia and confirm the phenomenal words that they heard from the angels. But no sooner do the Magi depart and another angel shows up and he gives a warning. King Herod's on a rampage. The guy's unhinged. He's coming after you, Joseph. And he wants to kill the baby. And the number one thing on Herod's mind is take him out. So verse 13 says, get up. Now, get out of here. Go to Egypt. Run, Joseph. And don't stop until you get to another country. And it will take weeks. Now that they've got a baby to carry with them. It'll take up to nine days just to go the first 175 miles to make it to the border. And by the time they get to Egypt, they've got to find Alexandria because Alexander the Great named Alexandria the city as a city of sanctuary, a place where you could go if your life was threatened, a place where you could hide. And at this period of time, there's a million Jews in Alexandria. So Joseph logically would go there and make a home there. But I want you to notice this trip means that this family has not been instantly transported to Egypt. Could God do that, church? God could do that in a minute. 
He could move them as quickly as he wanted to. Could God have taken out Herod's army? Absolutely. God could have done that. Or he could have at least blinded them. God's done that in the past in the Bible. But he chooses to protect through the most ordinary means. The command to leave is absolutely supernatural. But the action of leaving is by faith. Faith that God is going to meet their needs. I promise you, if you yield to God tonight, if you yield to Him, He will provide. Amen, New Hope? You know that to be true. You yield to God and He will provide. Now, how does God provide for them? Well, they just have been given gold and frankincense and myrrh. Absolutely a treasure which will supply for them in the traveling expense and in the living expense, probably carried them over for the whole time they were in Egypt. But Joseph a carpenter. He can pick up a job in another town if he has to. But here's the point you should be catching. God makes a way. God's purposes lead to God making a way. Why Egypt? Because it fulfills prophecy. Let me show you something on the screen from the Old Testament. I called my son out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. You may not know this, but that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. God already knew what Herod was going to do. God already understood the actions of a devious man. And God says, I'm going to call my son out of Egypt. Why? Because he had to go to Egypt. So look with me at verse 14 of chapter 2. Kind of fills in the blanks for us. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. It just assures me that God knows the Herods of this world, church. God knows the actions, and it doesn't catch him by surprise when things go bad. You got some things going bad in your world right now? Some things you think God's not aware of? He works in the midst of those situations. You might think it's an interruption. God says it's an opportunity. You can get to know me better. You can grow in me. The working out of God's plan required something of Joseph. The same thing God requires of you when he's working out his plan in your life. Submission, humility, obedience, and in Joseph's case, patience. Because God said, I'm going to move you to a foreign country and I want you to stay there, according to verse 13, until I tell you to come back. How long is that, God? Until I tell you to come back. How long? How long? until I tell you to come back. Just be patient. Watch with me in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. These passages should be reminding you that God is always aware. He's dialed into the actions of the times. He's dialed into the political landscape and the things that are going on in our world. So Joseph has to be very, very, very careful when he goes back to Israel. I'm not going to go into the rest of the story with it tonight. You can look at it later yourself. But when Joseph goes back into Israel, he still has to watch out for his life and the life of his family. Read about it later yourself. Here's what I want you to consider. Consider the change that you've just observed. Brief 20 minutes that we've been together. And you've already seen a man who has gone from building furniture to dodging bullets. Working in the carpenter's shop to running for his life. From Rome's most notorious murderer, who's hunting for Joseph. Could Joseph 
have stayed safe? Absolutely. Could he have found another woman to marry? He certainly could have. Could he have lived life uninterrupted? Yeah. However, once he understood who Jesus is, once he understood why Jesus came, he believed. Have you believed tonight? Is that where you find yourself? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? It's an amazing invitation that God gives us. In spite of all our flaws, Joseph's got flaws. God brought opportunities to him. God brings opportunities to you to know him and to grow in him. You may be thinking right now, well, Mark, like Joseph is special. I mean, he's like in the Bible, right? Joseph is a flawed man just like we are. Maybe that's making you draw an extra breath. <gasps> I can't believe you said that about Joseph. Well, I can say that because I understand what Scripture says. I say that because the Bible says we are all flawed. We all have sin. Just like you, Joseph is invited to respond to the presence of Jesus. Jesus wants to be in his world. Now, I'm going to end this with two realities. I'm just kind of land the plane with these two thoughts. Love for you to take out the door when you, when you go tonight. This Christmas story is reminding us that none of us is qualified for life with God. Say amen if you believe that. Okay, like half of you believe it. None of us is qualified for life with God. Romans, okay, good, good response, great, thank you. Romans 3.23, you, you know Scripture, you know what it says. This is a reminder for you, look on the screen. For all have sinned, that's Joseph included. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. You know what that verse means? This is important for you, especially if you're new to church. That verse means you can't do enough good things to make God like you better. God loves you, but you can't earn your way into eternity. You can't do enough good things to change God's mind. We're full of sin and we fall short of the glory of God. So that leads us to the second reality. In the Christmas story, every one of us is learning that we're all invited to respond to His presence then. Let me, let me show you how I can back that up with Scripture. Look with me on the screen. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So if we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and God came to save sinners, I qualify, right? Even though I might not feel qualified right now. God says, I'm here to save you. You can receive Him just as you are, and you should not be waiting until you feel good enough because you'll never get to that point. The fact that you don't feel good enough is a very important part of this. That's probably the Holy Spirit of God pulling on you. I asked you earlier, what would it be like if God said to you, you get to do life with Jesus like He said to Joseph? And we all agreed we would feel pretty unqualified. Many people, when they hear this, feel unqualified because here's what they're thinking. I I'm too far down the road. You don't know the things in my past. The things that I have done feel like I'm never going to measure up. I'm just going to remind you of one illustration that can stay with you in your mind for a long time. I want you to remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross that on His right and on His left were two condemned criminals. Both of them thieves. The man on his right said to Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? 
Now, Jesus' response to this man is based on the fact that Jesus knew this man would never go to a Bible study. He would never attend a church service. And he certainly wouldn't be able to restore the relationships that he had destroyed throughout the course of his life. But because that man believed in who Jesus was, and because he said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? That simple statement, Jesus turned to him and said, I guarantee you today you will be with me in paradise. That's an amazing, amazingly gorgeous statement. The grace of God to forgive us is not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. He's done everything that we need not because of the good things that we've done, but because of what He has done. So you can receive that. Maybe you're really hard about this and you're thinking, that won't work for me, Mark. You don't know. You don't know my past. You're right, I don't. But I do know this. It's not about your past. It's about your future. That's the truth of God's Word. It's about what He has in store for you. So do you sense that you have to do business with God tonight? Accepting this is completely optional. I just want to remind you, no one tackles anybody in the parking lot here at New Hope. All right, We don't do that. If you're expecting God to do something more, He's already done it all. He's done everything. You just have to believe. God loves you. And He wants you to spend eternity with Him. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm going to ask you to do this knowing that the Spirit of God is at work right now. In all three services, we sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in the last two services, people turned their life over to Jesus Christ and made a decision for him. I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. I'm going to ask if everybody in the auditorium, whether you're a believer or not yet there, would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I'm just going to talk you through this, and I want to ask you a question with your eyes closed. Have you ever... Come to the place, check yourself on this. Have you ever admitted that you're a sinner and told God that? Have you ever come to the place where you've talked to God and you said, I am a sinner? Admit that to Him. He won't be surprised. He knows that. He knows everything. Now here's the next question for you. Are you willing to turn from your sins? The Bible calls that repentance, meaning turning from one direction and going another direction. Repenting doesn't mean you're not going to stumble in the future. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail and sin again. But what it means is this, is that from this point on, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you yield your life to Him tonight, God's going to catch you. And His Holy Spirit will be there to correct you and bring you to the place where you want to move away from sin. Have you ever admitted to God that you believe that Jesus is God? And that when he died for your sins, that he was raised again on the third day. If you believe those things and if you say those things to God, it makes you a believer. So I'm going to encourage you right now to invite him into your life. Tell him that you want forgiveness of your sin. That you want a brand new beginning because he will give it to you. Christmas Eve 2016 can be a brand new life for you. The old can pass away and the new can come. If you keep your eyes closed, I'm just going to pray with those who want to receive Christ right now and tell you how to do it. Just repeat these words as a whisper back to God. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner.
and I need to be saved. I believe that Jesus came to die for my sins. And I believe that He was risen the third day. God, I ask for a brand new beginning. I want You to take away my sin. I'm asking for a new start. I'm going to tell you that if you sincerely meant that, you are a believer in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just one more minute. If you prayed to receive Jesus tonight, would you slide your hand up so I can pray for you later tonight? Just slide it right up. Thank you very much for doing that. I'll pray for you later this evening when I go home. You can open your eyes now. and I want you to hear this. To help you with your walk with Jesus. We have free Bibles for you out in the atrium when you leave tonight. They have beautiful gold wrapping paper on them and inserted into the Bibles is an envelope that says next steps. Tells you what to do next and how can you know that you're for sure saved for eternity. There's a letter in there that I wrote that I want you to read so you follow through with understanding what you just decided to do. But if you already own a Bible and you don't want to pick up one of those bright, shiny gold Bibles, there's a stack of envelopes right next to it that says next steps. Just grab one of those when you go out tonight. It'll help you to understand what you just committed your life to. But hear this. This is my last thought for you. Here at New Hope, we celebrate things like this. There is nothing like knowing that you've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and that you have a brand new beginning. According to the Bible, the old has passed away and the new has come. So, congratulations.